0: I'm Abby Atkinson and this is Don't Let Dave Win, the podcast that explores mental health and that negative inner voice that we all have within the world of the arts industry. This is the first ever episode of this podcast and there is no better guest to start the series off with a bang than actor, writer and TV presenter Siobhan McSweeney. We had a beautiful chat about grief, about entering the industry at an older age than most and about the last ever episode of Derry Girls and why it was such an important episode politically. She is a phenomenal actor and presenter and has a heart of gold, so I feel very fortunate to have been able to have this chat with her. Okay, before we get going properly, Can we start with a little bit of a check-in? Sure. Just because, yeah, quite personal (laughs) subject matter. So yeah, just to see where you're genuinely at today. Um, So yeah, if you had to describe how you're doing in two or three words.
1: I'm actually all right. I feel like I've done quite a few podcasts or certainly chats this last week. And I think uh, that sort of has put me in the right frame of mind for this. And uh, a bit like the audiobook, it reminds me that I, I sort of enjoy them. I don't do as many of them as I'm asked because I'd spend my entire fucking life doing it. Can I curse on this? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah go for it. Um, oh, I'm an awful cursor, all I do. I, I used and curse at all when I was a child and now I'm effing and blinding everywhere. <laughs> um, so I'm looking forward to this. I'm interested about this. I think it's a really good idea for a podcast.
0: Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and you? Um. Yeah, a bit jittery, a bit sort of, you know, pre-sort of nerves before we get going into it. But no, I'm really excited and very grateful to be here. So yeah, thank you for having me. That's good. So yeah, do you have a negative inner voice that pipes up either in your day-to-day
1: life or throughout your career? Without a shadow of a doubt, yes. Not only is it a voice, but it's many voices and they take on many disguises and it's quite insidious it comes at different points of my life in different costumes so it takes me a while to to uh, to recognize them for the negative unhelpful voices that they are mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. and so you said it's multiple voices mm-hmm. but do you have sort of a
1: collective name for it all oh gosh no I don't that would be fun to call it like you know remember there was a uh, a film years ago with Sally uh, Sally Field called The Many Faces of Sibyl and it opened with her in a fountain and children laughing at her and she had no idea how she got there because it was about uh, multiple personality disorder which has been subsequently disproved or whatever it's not as uh, in vogue as it was then but uh, maybe I should maybe I should call the 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 inner voice Sally Field (laughs) The, the thing is she's just like kindness and warmth personified so that certainly wouldn't be um, this voice at all I don't have a name for it but it's I think what's so insidious about it is that I don't often recognize it sure. as something I mean it's obviously not a part from me mm-hmm. and I'm not sure how helpful for me it is to think that it's a part but I think I have to accept it as something that I think the biggest the biggest thing the biggest Realisation, simplest realisation I, I as I get older that I have is that everybody thinks that they're a freak. <laughs> everybody thinks that they're the only one that has these voices in their head. Everyone thinks um, that those voices as well, those those negging voices are the truth yeah. at certain points. Mm-hmm. That was a big, big realisation. Um, when you feel, and you know, that's from having an extraordinary support network and friends so that they're able to go, dude, the fuck are you on about that isn't true at all. And you're like, oh, right. Okay. Yeah, that is. Yeah. Why, why did I, why do I assume the bad things are true and the good yeah. things are not?
0: Yeah, exactly. It's never the good things, <laughs> <No>, is it? <laughs> no,
1: I never, ever believe, um, like even when something nice is happening, you know, like when, when life is good, mm-hmm. um, I always have one eye up on the grand piano that's about to fall on my head. Yeah. Um, and I think I'm getting better at that. And there are loads of very logical and and protective and loving reasons for thinking that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, inevitably, the piano will fall on your head. You know, th- th- that will. But then the good times will come again. And then the piano will fall on your head. And then the good times will come again. <laughs> it's just being able to sort of like enjoy the good times before the piano falls. Yeah. Roadrunner-esque. <laughs> I love that. <laughs>
0: Yeah no it's so true it's yeah because the good, the good thoughts are kind of fleeting and then the negative ones manifest themselves and become such an embedded part of sort of your psyche and, and I don't know if you get this but I definitely sort of um what's the word think of like the worst case scenario for every situation I go into oh my god yeah like on my way here sort of okay well my laptop's gonna be broken by the yeah. time I get there and you know like just yeah. and then that escalates to the point where I was like what if I
1: projectile vomit everywhere? And
0: yeah. You know, you start going off on all of these tangents and it's like, totally. why
1: do you not just imagine that it will go smoothly? Yeah. Well, I think, I know, I, I, I figured out, thank you therapy, I figured out why I, I did that. What do they call it? They call it um, uh, disaster thinking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was doing it because I thought it would prepare me for when the disaster happened. That if I went through all the bad stuff that could happen, Um, when it did happen, not if, but when it did happen, I would be somewhat inured to it. I would be somewhat not destroyed by it. Mm -hmm. So, for example, my father was ill for a very long time. And even after, even before he was ill, my mother had died. And the shock of my mother dying made me think that dad was going to die every day, made me think that everybody in my life was going, which they are, but you know, like we're going to die. Um, These were were not conscious thoughts. They were unconscious thoughts, but it meant that quite often, a couple of times a week for (laughs) ages, I would wake up and run through in my head because I would give dad a call every day and if he didn't answer, which he wouldn't, because the man was a contrary motherfucker and (laughs) used to put his mobile phone beside the landline, you know, and then go off for a walk, Um, not understanding it was mobile. It could go with him. I would run through the entire scenario of uh, that he had collapsed and I'd be like okay I'm gonna to have to ring my brother then I'd have to ring my aunt then you know I had at one point like all the Ryanair flights learned off from wow. Stansted you know like that's just bonkers but I but I didn't realize that it was bonkers and then when you do sort of snip into that and you go oh, that's a bit weird and you're like well you know if something does happen I'm, I'm prepared Self-defense mechanism, yeah. yeah. And then something bad did happen. You know, he, he fell ill, um, and uh, he, and he died, and that was of no use to me whatsoever. All the prep I'd done, all the preemptive grieving, all the preemptive cushioning, and and uh, that I'd been trying to do for myself, and it it, it dissolved in that instant because of course it did it was all it was serving was to keep me in a state of panic and of adrenalized panic and and when the when it when bad things do happen no you can't be prepared for it yeah You like and something like that it's not gonna soften the blow anymore either it's not gonna soften the blow it's not gonna make the blow hard like it's it's a waste of my fucking time Mm -hmm. you know as Mary Oliver say what are you gonna do with this one and precious life and and, I, and it's been a waste of my time in fairness to me I didn't know I was doing that it wasn't mm-hmm. conscious and there's no point giving you know scolding myself for that behaviour either but but yeah, yeah. It, it, it's understandable of course you're going to think that the people you love are going to drop dead when you're not there yeah, I do it all the time.
0: <laughs> that's one of my sort of main yeah. anxieties, and always right before I go to sleep as yeah. well. So it's too late to phone them. It's, yeah, uh,
1: you know. Yeah, yeah. Just want to make sure. Or if you, or you can't have an argument with somebody because then if you go in like that's the last thing you've ever said to them. Now. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't stop me from having arguments. God, I wish it would stop me from having <laughs> arguments. <but> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, and even sort of nice things like, okay, they're going to come and visit me turns into, well, what if they're obviously going to die in a car crash on the yeah. way, and then it's going to be my fault because yes. I suggested they come on this day yes yes
1: yes but do you know what hearing you now and you know you're you're a a bright young woman with a fantastic career ahead of her with great training with you're intelligent you've got self motivation and I'm going and you think that too I'm like okay (sighs) all right you know everybody thinks this Mm -hmm. and It sort of seems counterintuitive, but knowing that I am in no way special is really helpful. Yeah. (laughs) It's really, really helpful. I love the fact that my fears are mediocre. Mm -hmm. I love that there's a banality and a median and an averageness to the very specific and personal worries that I have all the time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and it means everyone's more relatable as well. Everybody is human, which is what I'm realising. Doing this as well, talking to yeah. people sort of like you, who I look up to so much, oh, and like wow. if I have a career like yours, I will be so happy. Well, yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> Not sure about that, but yeah. <laughs> um, so like the fact that you have these sort of doubts still, yeah, uh, but it's weirdly reassuring to know actually they're just never going to weigh, and you just you've just got to crack on and do what you want to do. Yeah, in spite of that, because I, I kind of I put off going into acting, for example, yeah, for so long because. Really, because everything was sort of just there. Like I, I was sort of like, oh, I've left it too late because I didn't go to drama school at the age of eighteen. Uh-huh, like I've, uh-huh. it's too late for all of this. You know, you're starting yeah. way behind and, and et cetera. But do you know? I, I, I was waiting to be late. more confident.
1: Yeah, but also it means that you did it at the right time. Yeah, you weren't too late.
0: Yeah, I believe that now actually. Yeah, like, yeah, the school I fell into and like the people I've met and and
1: everything. It was definitely the right time. Like I came to drama school quite late. I was, I was you know, industry standards quite old leaving, leaving drama school. I was 20, uh, I was 27. I was 26, nearly 27. Like that's industry standards wise, you know, yeah. you're sort of, you've missed, you've missed your shiny bit, <laughs> but the industry is fucking bullshit. And if I had gone any earlier, I wouldn't be an actor now wow well, do think that really oh I don't think I know that I know being in my late 20s and early 30s living in like a fucking squat in Manchester on the dole I would not have done that if I'd gone straight from secondary school to to drama school mm. I would have gone oh god I, I would have I, I wouldn't have had the tenacity I wouldn't have had the the determination and the stubbornness because I had overcome so much to finally go to drama school when I did go yeah I had made the decision I it was my first I think going to drama school deciding to go to drama school was probably my first act of adulthood
0: right okay
1: and you need to be a grown-up when you're an actor and I don't if I had done it any earlier I don't think I'd I I'd have balked, I'd have, fell, I'd have fallen at the first hurdle. Mm-hmm. And there were many, many hurdles and there continue to be many, many hurdles of a different type. But for the hurdles that I had at the time, they're the ones that you have when you start off. You need to be able to question them and not to just be like a mule and stand firm. You have to be able to to question them and check in. It's like, is this right? Is this right? And every time I was able to go, yeah, this is right yeah this is right Mm -hmm. grab my 180 allow a one pound 80 for allowance for the day and head off to asda you know like this is right this is what i should be doing until the gig this is what i should be doing
0: yeah wow because you did you you went down a science route for a period of time is that right you did a a
1: degree in science i did a degree in science it was a four-year degree and it took me five years to do it because i dropped out in typical siobhan style three weeks before the end of the year so I had to do the whole bloody year again and the reason I dropped out was because I got too um I I don't know what the right I got overwhelmed I was in the wrong course mm-hmm. I used to glibly say depressed but it wasn't depression um it was I was in the wrong course and I was deeply unhappy mm-hmm. in the course and I wasn't doing the work so the work was piling up and up and up and I'm a complete chancer and I have enough intelligence to get away with the bare minimum. And then you hit university where it's not it's not your chancerdom that's been rewarded. It's your ability to be consistent and to study consistently throughout the whole time. And I wasn't doing that. So mm-hmm. I was falling really behind, which was causing anxiety. Um, and I, I wasn't interested in what I was studying. Yeah, to be put it bluntly. So it was all getting too much and then I thought well I'm just going to quit and then it's like well what do you mean you're going to quit like what's that like and breaking my parents heart with that you know they were very very determined that I would go to university that I would be a professional do you know what I mean that I would yeah and they had a huge influence over my life huge so actually having the strength to turn around to them and go during my final year during my final exams actually wow, um, taking flights to London to audition for drama schools wow, and then going at that point I think they had gone on the journey with me and I think they just threw their hands up in the air and went grand, whatever and I was like <laughs> I won't get in and they were like of course you won't get in <laughs> of course you won't get in who do you think you are I'm like I don't know who, nobody we know had ever gotten into any of these places I think like Fiona Shaw is from Cork like she had gone into drama school and uh, there was a a guy a couple of years ahead of me who'd gotten in but he was you know a handsome boy you know people like me didn't get in uh, confused uh, chubby sleepy mischievous science dropouts they didn't get in (laughs) and it was very confusing because I got in Immediately like on the day and I rang ma'am from the payphone and was like I got in and she went oh And I said yeah, mm-hmm. she's like, well, what are you gonna do? I said, I suppose I'm gonna take it. She went. Oh, and i went, "Yeah." <laughs> she went, All right, so, I, so it, it in that way it didn't feel like a decision because that mm-hmm. wasn't the decision yeah. the decision was getting on the plane and going to Audition yeah. in the first place. Yeah. yeah, so when I got in Yeah yeah I guess I'll do it I'll I'll do it so yeah (laughs) and uh and I did said the little red hen and so she did I can relate to
0: that a lot actually because all all in was similar for me because I I studied English literature at uni and then went on to do a master's and was very much like I'm gonna go down the PhD route that's 100% what I want to do yeah yeah knowing full well it was actually my backup choice and I just didn't have the guts to go for acting yeah and then lockdown hit and so did sort of my mental health struggles sort yeah. of escalated as a lot of people's did and it was sort of like fuck like, i'm just not happy like yeah. i've I've got my place like i know who my mentor's is going to be where i'm going to go and do this phd like it was all set up and i was just like thinking about it is just making me miserable it's yeah. i've just got no motivation at all yeah um what would your phd have been in it was going to be in contemporary gothic literature so i was going to write about um organ transplants and how they're represented in right. contemporary gothic right um which i was passionate about also i thought anyway like I, I enjoyed the process of writing the proposal for it coming up with ideas but then the thought of sitting and actually writing the thing for four years and then going on to be a lecturer i was like it's just not it's just not what i want to do like no. I, I enjoyed reading the books and watching the films and was passionate about sort of the creative, you know, how these things are made, but not so much.
1: There's a real... um, It's When I was a teenager, I was good at maths. I was good at science. I loved drawing and painting. I would paint Michael Stipe on my wall continuously. Michael Stipe, for the children in the audience, is the lead singer of R.E.M. R.E.M., for the babies in the audience, was, I suppose they're they're broken up now, uh, a, a very very successful band from Georgia Athens Georgia and i also secretly wanted to act mm-hmm. and i thought i used to wish on a star each night starlight star bright and i thought and i think that's possibly the, the 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 catholicism in my background or something but i felt i had to bargain okay that i'll give up visual i give up painting i mean you know i don't, i don't think I don't think the uh, the visual art world lost anything there but like, I'll give up enjoying that I'll sacrifice that if I'm allowed to be an actor
0: wow okay this
1: bargaining that goes on and in my head I felt that you could only have one and as I get older and as life of course tells you that there's no linear path everything is connected mm-hmm. um, I would really advise you to continue not with not necessarily with your PhD but not to throw that all away I'm not saying that you would have I'm Mm -hmm. not saying that this isn't something you haven't thought of but I felt I almost had to prove my love and dedication to acting by throwing away every earthly delight and to focus solely on that and that because the sacrifice to become an actor was so large i.e breaking my parents heart and entering into a life of penury and near prostitution um (laughs) Um, and they were right. Uh, <laughs> that I would, th- there would have to be something almost like a vocation about it. Okay. And as life goes on, I realize, if you know, when lockdown happened, a good friend of mine called me and said, I did not marry my husband to spend twenty four hours a day with him. You know, <laughs> being an actor, and that's why I sort of, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to present. Because I didn't search for that; that came to me. Being being a good actor, being a passionate and interested actor and artist, doesn't mean you can't have some lovers on the side. Do you know that your 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 dedication to your 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 craft isn't trivialized by your PhD and all that study? Like it took me ages to sort of even think or read about science again. Um, it my friend has gone back to do a PhD and he's a better actor for it wow okay and he's a better husband for it and he's a better friend he's a better person because we both realized that we had this sort of dedication to the altar of acting and no like love not no one person no one thing can fulfill everything you yeah. know you have to have your friendship groups you have to have your book club, you have to have loads of different things. And because acting is sort of this nebulous, almost mythic profession, Mm -hmm. especially when you're younger and you don't know much about it and you want it so much, when the reality is it's, you're an artist and very few artists just do their canvases. They're off to their gigs or they dabble in the tambourine or they really like cooking or they, it all feeds the same source. Wow. Do something that you don't have to make money on mm-hmm. to feed that fountain. Do you know what I mean? To 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 like I did um, with uh, uh with my first long contract in theater. Um, I took a course in painting, and it was the best thing I've ever done because I didn't. I I first of all it was because I was investing in myself in that like I was doing something. I was like I wasn't putting it away for rent. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sort of going, oh, well, maybe I'd be able to take a holiday. I was sort of going, I know where my money's coming for the next nine months. Um, I'm going to choose one day, one evening a week to do this and to fling paint on a, on a piece of paper. And what was brilliant about it is that the fellow the, the, the teacher would come around and sort of look at it and very kindly go, hmm, yeah, yeah, very, um, very, uh, a lot of passion. I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, I wasn't there trying to be good. I wasn't there trying to be... I was there trying to learn, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But it was more the experience of creating without it having to pay my bills. Yeah. Without it being judged at the end of it, like an audition or something. Just
0: doing something for you because you enjoy it. Yeah. I feel like, especially nowadays, it's yeah. like, yeah, you, you have to be productive. You have to fulfill your time wisely and all of this stuff. And you have but...
1: to monetize it. Yeah. You have to monetize it. When we make... When art is made into a commodity, it's very, it's not impossible, but you have to keep checking in with the, the joy and the delight to make sure it's like, I can't remember who to, where I heard this initially, but it's, it's all, all my peers, actors, it's, it, we all know this, you know. Um, to take a job, an acting gig, there are three things you consider. Is it good for my career? Is it good for my bank account? Is it good for my soul? It only needs to be one of those things to justify doing it and once people you know I'd see somebody a friend doing 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 a gig and I ring them up and they're like oh yeah yeah it's the bank account I'm like cool oh yeah 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 this will be good for my career cool oh yeah this is feeding my soul cool I won't be watching it yeah You know, like, (laughs) it that's enough. You have to keep those channels open, the three Mm -hmm. channels. But when you're doing something just, just for the love of it, that's why I'm not at all dismissive of amateur dramatics and Mm -hmm. people who decide to keep on their other job because there's no lack of talent. No. All it is, is monetizing. All it is, is deciding to um, make money out of it.
0: Yeah. And like you said, you can do more than one thing, which... Which, yeah, to be fair, like, maybe I should pick up my gothic books and read them some more. Like, I yeah, definitely definitely will now. Because, yeah. Um, yeah, why shut off a different part of you purely to be, like... I-, I think for me being sort of start of my career as well, there's this sort of urgency. Like, you need to do it quick. You know, you need to have had so many credits by a certain age. Otherwise, you know, oh, people are going to look at that and be like, what have you spent your time doing? Yeah. Um. But if that sort of speed is killing everything else.
1: Yeah, and also... You got into all in when you were doing your MA. Like you, you were as talented then as you are now. Do you know what I mean? It's just now you've training, mm-hmm. so that didn't stop you. All your study and lack of that—that that didn't stop you. You still had it in you. Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think um, also because um, I sort of feel a lot of this is about advice and sort of things. Looking back, Um, if I can be grandma for a sec. Uh, shut up about needing enough credits and by this point and that sort of like internal deadline. Mm -hmm. Fuck off. (laughs) Fuck off with your deadline. On the other hand, try to act as much as you can. It doesn't matter if it's a shit part, a shit play, shit venue. It will be. All these things will happen because unless you're one of the few the so rare few that people think is the norm, actually, but it's actually the very few. And um, you're going to be doing a lot of shit if you're lucky, a lot mm-hmm. of shit for a very long time. Um, that's the nature of it. But I think it's really important to keep practicing. You need a strong muscle. Mm-hmm. So just to keep um, I, I think it was I can't remember who said that, but like it's try to act as much as you can. Mm-hmm. Like I, 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 I've been holding trays in the back of plays for most of my career. Fucking best training ever. Best training ever. Learned so much. And there are small parts. Don't listen to that stupid thing of like there's no such thing. as... This. There are small parts. Totally, <laughs> there are small parts. Yeah, and they're unsatisfying ones and they're unfair ones. Really unfair. But what you can do while you're there, you can learn. Mm-hmm. You can really, really learn. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's valuable advice for sure. Because yeah, I have a lot of a lot of friends who sort of have the heart sets on certain roles, and if and if it's not them, then they're gonna you know turn down the other ones. And it's like, well, then why are you doing it? If if you don't love acting yeah. for you, then
1: that's a bit of a red flag. Uh, f- for me, that would be my advice. Yeah, yeah. Do it as much as possible. Do it as much as possible because, like, I didn't. I was doing uh, a play. And one of the other actors in it, he was he is rather uh, with complicity, and he went. Uh, have you done like a cock, or you have? Have you done sort of more of a physical theatre, non-verbal kind of training? And I and I looked at him. I had a fucking clue what he was on about. I was like, no, you weirdo. And off I went. And he kept at me, and he was like, you should really, you know, we do do a workshop with complicity there or or you know and it was you think you know everything when you leave drama school right you say the lofty oh I've so much to learn but inside you pretty much know I was I had a, a brilliant classical training at Central fantastic classical training but I realized that more and more I was doing a lot more physical things and a lot more sort of comic things and less sort of um Uh, less classical stuff than I thought (laughs) it would be or uh, and certainly what you think Uh theatre is you know and it took somebody else to go maybe you should look at clowning maybe and it opened up a whole new world so doing this teeny little part in a big play meeting you know that that sort of helps you other other people have a clarity about you as well that you need to listen to Mm -hmm. and and only holding, who the fuck do you think you are to think, oh, I only want to play Rosalind. Who cares? <laughs> play it and fuck off and leave room in the industry for somebody who is curious, who will change and will have different manifestations. Mm-hmm. If You know, the whole point of being an actor is to live as many lives as possible. Yeah. Isn't it? I only want to play Rosalind. Oh, fuck off, you bore. All you want to do is is, is wank in an Austin uh, uh, fucking book. No, it's of no use to man or beast. You're not contributing to the cultural landscape.
0: Mm-hmm. I love it. Solid advice. <laughs> <laughs> um, <the, laughs> i like, oh, what do I follow that with? <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> well, uh, shut up, Siobhan,
0: possibly. <laughs> this is going to be a very big tangent jump, but I want to make sure we yeah, have, I, en- have enough time to talk about it.
1: I rambled, so please no. shut me down, shut <laughs> me down. Get through your questions.
0: No, um, I just want to make sure, I definitely want to speak to you about the final episode of Derry mm. Girls, because there's been a lot of a lot of people sort of learning about the Good Friday Agreement, mm-hmm. which is incredible, but it's also sort of raised the, the realisation that people in Britain, well, England, knew very little about it. Mm-hmm. Like, I a bit ashamed to say that like, I watched the final episode and then had to go away and google what it was to make sure that I understood the full significance of it and and wow. I didn't I didn't realize that sort of Brexit had made it such a sort of current issue again yeah. and that was sort of like wow okay mm-hmm. this isn't just about Irish history this is sort of about the present as well yeah which I don't think I realized yeah. um so yeah, yeah. H- how did it feel to film that was did you know at the time that that was sort of a really significant ending and that there would be sort of so many people learning about it for the first time?
1: I knew it would be a significant ending. I had no idea that it would display the ignorance that has been displayed for the last five years ever since, and actually the last 20 years since I've moved to this country. Reading the script of the special is, I'll never forget it. It, was, um, it never fails to sort of move me. Um, I thought it was uh, brilliantly done the fallout afterwards I think it to place it within a wider context if you hit something at the right time and in the right way television slash art in general has the power to do more than any election election is sort of the is is the symptom of the action? Do you know what I mean? It's 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 not the it's the aftermath of the actual action. There is a huge problem in Britain when it comes to education. First of all, uh, you know, on, on on an immediate obvious way, the fact that the arts are being cut in secondary education means we do not have, we're not uh, building critical thinkers, we're not building creative thinkers, and we're not helping artists. Now, the value of artists in society is something that right-wing conservative ideology insists it has no, n- no place. It is, uh, it is ornamentation rather than, rather than a, an instrument for positive change or even an instrument for reflection. Maybe positive change is putting my own ideology on it, but it's certainly an instrument for reflection. And I think that art has a responsibility to reflect and to provoke Not to be didactic, not to have a huge ideology, not to, that's something else, that's propaganda, right? But it has a responsibility to reflect and to provoke. And when you have a population that don't know who they are because they don't know their history, then what can you reflect back at them? The mirror isn't there because they don't know what they look like. I think one of the best television shows ever, ever, one of the best pieces of art ever, is Michaela Cole's I May Destroy You incredible incredible I, I I think it's it's a it's a landmark piece of television and piece of art that is an anomaly not only because of the quality but because of the subject matter because of the provocations within that because of the compassion that she has as an artist to not be didactic and allow us obviously not just into her own intimate experiences but allows us to grow as a population, as a society and as an individual watching that. Mm-hmm. That is when it hits the sweet spot, right? Dairy Girls isn't about, for me, isn't about, and my ranting and raving about the Good Friday agreement after Dairy Girls isn't about like the Brits are so bad they don't know their history. What I'm saying is that you can't have a dialogue and move forward unless you deal with huge And I'm talking about, this is worldwide as well. Worldwide. Ireland has its own particular set of problems. Ireland has huge black spots as well. But the specific black spots that are in Britain are affecting the people I love and know in Northern Ireland and in Ireland. And it's affecting the rest of Europe. And it's affecting my friends and my life here. If a television programme makes you Google about the Good Friday, Friday Agreement, that's fucking amazing. The fact that you didn't know about it that's the problem not that you did it's not your fault I think there's a lot of shame in this country I think there's a lot of shame in Ireland but there's a lot of shame in this country because there's an I call it a psychic absence people recognize that there's a vacuum because they haven't been told everything it's like a big secret in a family you haven't been but you have an inkling you know mm-hmm. so it gets filled with um hyper nationalism and uh, you make up a Imperial past that never existed—that never existed—because you feel ashamed and you feel Mm. that something happened and it was your fault. It wasn't your fault. I feel like Goodwill Hunting now. It's (laughs) not your fault. Oh no, (laughs) it's not your fault. It isn't your fault. But you need to know because (laughs) because it's affecting real people's lives, and we can't continue making the same mistakes over and over again. Nothing else. It's too hot. (laughs) Too <laughs> yeah. fucking hot to do it. <laughs> so that last episode of Dairy Girls, I'll never not be proud of that last mm-hmm. special.
0: It was beautiful. And it, it was nice seeing how each individual character voted as well, because I didn't expect that the reverse to be shown, mm-hmm. which was really powerful mm-hmm. and kind of the, it felt like it left on a message of hope.
1: Oh, completely. Without, oh, uh, utterly hopeful. Yeah. And that time was so hopeful. And I, because of that sort of shame and, not, and politeness and not wanting to offend and being just fucking generally sound, it means that you don't particularly want to look at the North, but the North in general has a majority of compassionate compromise. The North of Ireland, the population there, the majority of them exercise a level of mediation, reconciliation and compromise, considering their own personal experiences. They get alongside each other so well. That is never really betrayed, but it's humbling when you go there because it's almost, it's almost, um, you know, it's a fucking aim to be that Zen really, you know, I'm not saying that that's, that it's easy and there, that there aren't problems, there are huge fucking problems, but mm-hmm. do, do you know what I mean? It's, if you could see what they have achieved, oh my God, and it's not even that long ago, what they've achieved already in the face of fucking ignorance and in the face of downright hate mongers in uh, the people in power there and the people in power here Mm -hmm. but the people themselves the general populace fucking class (laughs) no i mean it's
0: yeah for a comedy to be educating people to that extent in itself is
1: incredible that it sort of goes back to you know that's what good art does it does educate us it's not that it's didactic Uh but it it, because it makes us feel our humanity a bit more yeah
0: is that a not necessarily a change because it is happening already but is that sort of a shift that you would like to see more of yes comedy
1: i think comedy is the only tool to uh correctly interpret our human experience i think uh, the trivialization of comedy is um is bullshit after uh, life teaches us that there's a fart joke in the middle of tears do you know we we try to get on we don't we just have to keep on going. We Mm -hmm. just have to keep on going. Mm -hmm. And and that's the most beautiful thing about humans, our resilience. It's so gorgeous the way that we just keep on going in the face of what actual is horror, like the abyss is there. We laugh while we're skipping by the abyss all the time. Like and and that's how we can ignore the fact that this is all meaningless and we're all going to die is that we roar with laughter. That's Mm -hmm. a beautiful human thing. No other rabbits aren't doing that. (laughs) I don't know many. I don't know many cows that are giggling while they're while they're contemplating uh, their their future, you know, whereas we do. And there's something that should be cherished and nurtured and really protected about that. And comedy does that. Mm. Comedy is the true place where our humanity plays.
0: Yeah, I love that. Couldn't agree more.
1: Yeah. Yeah it really really is and you know there's a value system but again it that, you know that's sort of propaganda isn't it you know that it has to be some fucking white dude holding a, a skull and, and crying and, and, and like Chekhov was the funniest fucker ever and you never see it done funny unless Friel's doing it but you know what I mean like all the mm. and wheel out the poor old maggoted dusty corpse of Shakespeare there and you know flog that to death and and sort of like there's tragedy is an intellectual exercise comedy is a human experiment
0: (laughs) incredible (laughs) um last little thing before we finish Hmm. um see your inner voice can we give it a name just for even if it's just for today for you to trial it out
1: see if it works for you yeah yeah do you know i'm gonna call it sybil Sybil, yeah okay because why? of that Sally Field uh-huh. uh, the many faces of Sybil um Sybil yes yeah. nice. I think I think that voice the reason why I don't like put it like sort of externalizing it from me is because I need to recognize I need to integrate it a bit more mm-hmm. and if I recognize that it is you know when you have that breakthrough when you realize that every everything in the dream is just you
0: Mm-hmm.
1: you know and you're like, like what why am I fucked up yeah, yeah, little yeah. shit like, yeah, yeah, yeah. where but, did
0: that come from but
1: like oh my are you dream, dream about somebody and You're like oh I, mu- I must be in love with them and you're like no that's <laughs> you and you're like I don't think it is and it's like no n- no that's you um it's just a reflection of you I think I think Sybil is a reflection of me the main thing with Sybil is that she can say what she fucking wants it doesn't have to be true and if it is true it's only momentarily true and if that's true then Sibyl and Ribble then Ribble's voice who (laughs) says you're fucking class Mm -hmm. and actually maybe should take this moment and isn't this gorgeous enjoy your your Ribena while you're drinking it (laughs) is as true
0: yeah for sure for sure and listening to that voice
1: and everyone has a Sibyl for sure
0: yeah there isn't a single person that doesn't no yeah thank you so much thank you thank Thank you 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 for being so open and just blunt
1: with stuff I, I've loved it it's really refreshing and oh gosh, thank gonna, you for your time I think Sybil Sybil's going to talk to me after this going why did you you should have just like given like just sort of different answers I'm like oh yeah I know I know why do you always say too much I know I know could you just like shut up for a second I know I know <laughs> now nah, that would have been more boring answers whatever the other ones were <laughs> well that's certainly you know maybe it, may it may be more to find but at least it'll be entertaining that's my thank you so much <laughs> (laughs) You're so welcome.
0: Thank you again, Siobhan, for your honesty and for your generosity. I'd also like to say a huge thank you to Stephen Sobel and Amy Sayers at All In Actors for all of your support, to Odin Ornhill-Martin for creating the beautiful music for this podcast, and to everyone for listening. Have an amazing week, and if your negative inner voice pipes up, Don't let them win.